Hey everybody, welcome to the fourth episode of Finding Extraordinary. I am reading Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, and there's a passage I want to share with you. Among men who rise to fame and leadership, two types are recognizable. Those who are born with a belief in themselves, and those in whom it is a slow growth dependent on actual achievement. To the men of the last type, their own success is a constant surprise and its fruits the more delicious. Yet to be tested cautiously with a haunting sense of doubt, whether it is not all a dream. In that doubt lies true modesty, not the sham of insincere self-deprecation, but the modesty of moderation in the Greek sense. It is poise, not pose. One must ask, if your belief in yourself is not dependent on actual achievement, then what is it dependent on? The answer too often when we are just setting out is nothing. Ego. And this is why we see so often precipitous rises followed by calamitous falls. So which type of person will you be? End quote. And with that, Let's get it started. And I know we all get to these points where we try something new, and in the journey of something new, we suck at the beginning. And we don't like the feeling of how it sucks. We don't like that pain. So what we choose to do is like, hey, I'm gonna find some way to do something else. Hopefully I can find that sense of, of, of you know, greatness and feel good about myself, and I'll make a good excuse as to why I didn't pursue this other thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was on that path, and I was really like heading down a path of trying to find something new or find nothing at all. I'd given up on football for the most part, and there was a moment in time where like a girl said something that sparked my, my mind. It was a statement this girl made to somebody else, having no idea I was listening. She says, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And as much as it was this uh, like super simple statement, it was a moment for me to hear my excuse out loud. And for a lot of us who don't realize how dumb your excuse is until somebody says it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> and so I got this level, I was like, this doesn't sound good. I went home, I was like, I want to be great. And I knew that the next level of great for me was leaning back into the thing that at first scared me because like, I wasn't great at it, and that was football. So that was the, what pulled me out was honestly sports. You hear it a lot, but it wasn't because I want to be a great athlete. I just, just want to try to be great at something. That was the goal. That is the voice of my next guest, Anthony Trucks. I first saw Anthony when he was speaking to thousands of people at a conference and the roof came off the building from the applause after he delivered his message on identity shift. Now this was a message that I didn't only enjoy but it pierced the depths of my heart. I was so excited to get Anthony on the podcast. Now he will tell you that his greatest achievement is being happily remarried to his high school sweetheart and being the father to three amazing kids. But alongside that, he's accomplished a few other things. Anthony was a college football star at Oregon, and he also became an NFL pro and played for the Buccaneers, the Redskins, and the Steelers. He's also the first NFL athlete to hit the buzzer on American Ninja Warrior. He's been featured on six national TV brands. He's a seven-figure gym owner, a six-figure consultant, an international keynote speaker, best-selling author, and global shift coach. For those of you who know Anthony, you already know 
that this is going to be an amazing conversation. And for those of you who are just meeting him for the first time, I am so excited for you to get to know him. Now let's get this episode started. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary, but everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. Hey guys, welcome to the Seth Marks Podcast. I have someone who lights the roof off the building. And I know this because I was in that building when he did it. Uh, this is Anthony Trucks. He is an international speaker, ex-NFL football player, an acclaimed writer. You've, you've been a best-selling author. Uh, what else have you done? Oh, man, I've, uh, I've got a happy marriage. I've, I've made a, a cool family. That, to me, it speaks uh, volumes. Uh, I travel the world, man. I'm a coach. I consult for companies like Amazon, PG&E, other corporations. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a guy that, that honestly, I'm, the way I put it, I'm a regular guy with an irregular desire to help people. So I've been on a bunch of different TV stations, TV shows, the Ninja Warrior, National Ge- Geographics. Uh, uh, it's not Naked and Afraid. It's called Remote Survival. They put me in the woods. Um, yeah, I just I do a whole lot of cool things, always trying to express whatever in the world is inside of me in some cool way that the world also likes. But it, it hasn't always been that way. No. Right. Mm-mm. Um, I, I, the same time I saw you speak, I saw Tom Bill you speak, and he brought mm. up this incredible stat where uh, he said that the zip code that you're in mm-hmm. determines what you will become. Yeah, with statistics. And what does that mean for you? Oh man, I, I broke a mold. I guess the best way. So I grew up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. I didn't grow up in a zip code that was great, but it wasn't like horrible. It was like a pretty much a town called Martinez, which is actually nearby where we're at now. Uh, then I actually grew up, grew up in a town called Antioch, which to this day, like it's not the best town in the world. Uh, so statistically, being given away at three years old in foster care, um, having like a life that really was set in, in a, on a trajectory to not be great. Statistically in America, if you look at any prison in America, 75% of the inmates our former foster kids. Um, some 51% of the homeless population, former foster kids. Less than 1% ever make it uh, to you know, college and graduate college from foster care. So I did not grow up with any of the, uh, the numbers that would have shown me to be successful. Mm-hmm. And how did, you, how did you break out of that? Accidentally, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's never an accident. I think the thing is, like we're all set up in these situations where everything's relative. Like I had a hard background. Anybody else listening right now, like we all have different levels that are hard, relative, right? My kids, what's hard is their phone being taken away. Like that, oh, as I'm over here having weird alarms, apologize. Um, what ends up happening is like you have these moments in life where there's some difficulties and, and it's hard for everybody based on where they came from. For me, it was really difficult. What allowed me to get out of it um, was one, I, I didn't start with a mindset of I want to get out of here. You, the, the beginning of it for me was simply like, uh, I just, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And it wasn't a definitive, like, I'm going to find a way to come out of this place. It's all going to be great. Um, really what it was in the beginning of it all was me simply saying like, hey, this sucks. Don't want to feel this way. What do I got to do to get out of here? And it was always one step, one idea. 
Uh, and for me, like I started in a situation where like my mom was diagnosed with MS. Uh, I wasn't a great athlete. I couldn't even play sports until I was 14 when I was finally adopted. I was in foster care for actually 11 years. And I got this taste of something that made me feel a little bit better. And that was kind of the catalyst to the first stage of growth. And what it was was football. Like I wanted to try to play football because all my buddies do it over at recess. Like it's, it's recess time, so I'll go run around. I could kill them at recess. Like I would legitimately like run around these guys, catch balls. But then it came time to put a helmet on and I was horrible. And I know we all get to these points where we try something new. And in the journey of something new, we suck at the beginning. And we don't like the feeling of how it sucks. We don't like that pain. So what we choose to do is like, hey, I'm going to find some way to do something else. Hopefully I can find that sense of, of, of you know, greatness and feel good about myself. And I'll make a good excuse as to why I didn't pursue this other thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was on that path. And I was really like heading down a path of trying to find something new or find nothing at all. I'd given up on football for the most part. And there was a moment in time where like a girl said something that sparked my, my mind. It was a statement this girl made to somebody else having no idea I was listening. She says, well, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And as much as it was this uh, like super simple statement, it was a moment for me to hear my excuse out loud. And for a lot of us who don't realize how dumb your excuse is until somebody says it and you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> and so I got this level. I was like, this doesn't sound good. I went home. I was like, I want to be great. And I knew that the next level of great for me was leaning back into the thing that at first scared me because like, I wasn't great at it, and that was football. So that was the... What pulled me out was honestly sports. You hear it a lot, but it wasn't because I want to be a great athlete. I just did. I just want to try to be great at something. That was the goal. So I want to I want to bring something up. Football is never a guarantee. Sports Mm-mm. are never a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, I played baseball uh, semi pro and in college. Yeah. And I've had three shoulder surgeries, and that essentially I I had to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know I I've just, I learned that sports are never guaranteed Mm -hmm. so i believe you when you say football really helped pull you out but i think i think it's more than that there Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a it takes a village yeah to you know to build a uh an adult Mm -hmm. right um and when i saw you speak you talked about your foster parents oh huge yeah and uh you know kind of like the family that you were put into Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Of course, man. So throughout me playing the sports, there had to be a support base of who's going to get me to and from and all this kind of stuff. So where I had this sense of like, when I, there's two ways I look at it. There's the world and there's the inner world, right? So the, the outside world was a world that it gave me away. My real mom, um, you know, foster homes that beat me and starved me and all these crazy things. Uh, you know, classmates made fun of me. But sports was another part of the outside world I wanted to be accepted into. Mm-hmm. On the internal aspect of what gave me some drive to do that was my mom and my dad and my family that gave me a sense of like, stability and solidarity and like a sense of peace and, and, and really uh, a place where I felt loved, right? So that was a big, big, huge aspect to, to me coming out of it was that base of support. Uh, but I think the one thing we're all looking for is like, who am I like solo, right? Because I, I know I mean the family, but I, I want to create something more for my life because I want to also like give back and like say thank you to my family for what they did for me. So I didn't want to go off the deep end and just be this guy that they, you know, helped raise and he went off and did craziness. Mm-hmm. I want to do something like, hey, this happened to me. This is my life. And they, they love me past the crazy. What can I do to say thank you? And the thank you was I want to live a great life so I can be, um, you know, honor what they did for me. Yeah. And that's something uh, that, you know, you can see that it radiates through you. That's not always the case for for other kids or mm-hmm. other other people who grew up in uh, in foster care, yeah, you know, um, do you do you do work with some of those people still, or mm-hmm. do you uh, 
Do you do you speak to those folks? Yeah, of course. So there's there's the work I do that's like my paycheck work, right? There's work that I, where I coach individuals and, and executives and corporations on certain aspects of my identity work. Um, however, there's the work that I do that just I love doing. So I sit on the board of an organization called the National Angels, which is uh, it started in Austin, a company called Austin Angels, and what they do is they help serve and support the foster kids. And and so for me, I'm always getting called to serve these different types of organizations, and I always say yeah, more so because there's a lot of kids. And, you know, not always just kids, like before 18 is what we're calling it, but even those who age out that don't have a beacon to say, hey, this is, there's something more possible than everything I see around me. Mm-hmm. And realistically, what I've achieved was never a dream of mine. Like, I never had a dream to speak on a stage. It was never a dream to play in the NFL. Like, most people think, like, you must have grew up thinking that. Like, no, I just, I didn't want to get beat. I wanted to have food. Like, I wanted to have a place where I could actually know this is my home. It was never a, a dream that big because that was never possible at that age. Like that wasn't like it really legitimately was like, that's oh, not real. You can, no foster kid can do that because you never saw one. And so what I do now is try to come back and whether you're a foster kid or just a person that didn't have an amazing like life to begin with, it's more of like, hey, I'm a beacon. It says like, yeah, a lot of things are possible. So when did your shift of what is possible for you change? Mm. Because you said, you know, when 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 you were growing up. Yeah. You didn't think NFL was a possibility. Mm-mm. It was I just want to get I just want to be able to feed myself. Yeah. So when did when did that picture change? That's <laughs> fascinating, man. Yeah, I don't know if it ever changed. I, I I've always thought one step above this one. Now it's a high step. Most people are looking at like this big end result, but the problem is they can't connect the dots to get there. And I look at what what's the next big result to get to the next place that I don't know I'm supposed to be. And so the way I look at like the shift is always every day in my life taking place. I'm looking at what's the next level for me in some area that scares me. So a lot of us are saying, I, I'm here. I want to go to that far edge place. And they dream about this far edge place, which is great. You want to have that big dream. But I never thought that way. I always thought like, what is the next level in a direction that I don't know I'm supposed to go? Because as a kid growing up, nothing was supposed to be possible. Based on numbers, nothing's supposed to be possible. So everything I do is the next great. And so I lived my life of like, hey, I, I had, you know, what was the next step in high school? Well, let's go to college. And I didn't even think about college until my junior year. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to college. And in college, the next level, what was that? NFL, right? Yeah. Then I come home. What's the next level from that? Like, I'll open a business. You know, I'm going to drive segments on my own. And the next level from that was like, how do I get out of this small little area I'm at and reach the world? So then I started doing coaching online. And then it was like speaking and then traveling. It's always been a tear up. And like, there's a new level for me at this point, which is I want to do something that's like a, a national television show at some point. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where it's at. But there's a little like, uh, like seed that I've planted to go there. And so the shift is always... Every single like stage I'm at, I'm like, what's that next shift that I need to make to get the, the next step? And that, that gives me just enough of a, of a drive to see that through so I don't get overwhelmed every day by like, oh, I'm not so far ahead yet. Mm-hmm. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I know that next step. I'm making progress towards that one. And I believe at the end of our lives, we get to the space where you achieve that thing. If you do this, that, I mean, you never thought you would do. Like you, you, don't, you don't end up where you dreamed of. You end up somewhere different, if that makes sense. Yeah, but you can still appreciate it because of the process. All of it, yeah. 100% appreciation. Like I, I mean, that's the beauty of it is learning along the way. I think we all, we leave moments that are difficult far too early and don't comprehend that in the moment that you're in when there's difficulty, you learn a lesson you'd never learn anywhere else. But that lesson is needed to go to the next step. Yeah. So you got to stay in it. That's, that's super freaking profound. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, have you ever read The Talent Code? No. It's all about myelin and it's it's... The, the basis of the book is that 
um, talent isn't given. Mm-hmm. It's earned. Mm-hmm. Skill, you don't innately have it. It's built. Yeah. And it's all, it, it talks from the cellular level mm-hmm. how talent is built by this little thing called myelin, which is basically an insulator for your nerves, for, for your nerves mm-hmm. and synapses. The more you do deep practice, which is practicing something that you're not quite getting, but you're trying really hard and it's on the cusp of, mm-hmm. it's on the cusp of you getting it, but you, you don't just have it yet. You have to work on it and work on it. And then the more repetition you have, the more myelin is created. Yeah. Um, and it just goes into the inner workings of that. Um, and it sounds like you, you've built a lot of myelin throughout your, your experience. Yeah. You know, um, you also brought up different shifts in your life. Yeah. What, what was the biggest shift you've had to make and, and why? Man, there's a lot, there's a lot of big ones in there we can unpack. The biggest, I, so I look at for me, there's a lot of things that we will all deem success, right? And I, I don't think success is an arbitrary thing you land on. I don't even think it's a, it's, there's no, I don't know if it's monetary success. I think success for me at the end of my days will be that I wring every drip drop out of life. Like that's for me, it and it might have money in it, and it might be impact. Who knows? I just don't. So like, what can I just? Ex- I, I'll get it out of me, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest shift for me to be able to get to a point where I'm doing that uh, is to be in a space where not only can I have the freedom to create how I create, but then uh, a base of humans to celebrate it with. Like you talked about that that group of people, like get out of the, the the tribe, the village around you, mm-hmm. and my family's that. So the biggest shift I made was years ago. 2010 or something, I want to say it was like 2010, 2011, I got a divorce from my wife. Uh, and it threw me, man. It was like I, I was at this point where I'd lost my football career. My business wasn't doing very well. I'd now lost my marriage. I lost my family and my kids in terms of like having them at home when I got home. So everything was gone. And I, and I, I had that happen because of who I was, right? And the guy that was living his life the way he was living his life, kind of on autopilot, was creating these horrible things. He was messing his life up. I had to shift to, to take a lot of acceptance and ownership, like you'd mentioned, of who I was, what life I was living, how I was showing up, and who I needed to be that would have the things that I want. And what I wanted was, yes, I want to be able to create and do something great for the world, but I want to be able to have a base of people at home to, to enjoy the fruits of the labor with. And so my shift was becoming the, the better husband, the better father, the better businessman, and the, just honestly the better servant of society, so that I'm in a space now where like, be, I have such a great relationship. Most people think relationships are finding, like are confining. Mm-hmm. I think a relationship, a good one, is the most freedom you'll ever have if you have a heart to serve. Because I don't have to worry about, like, going on dates. I don't got to worry about courting a woman, right? Like, I, I date my wife, and we, we have a great relationship, but because I'm not worried about that, I can go into the world and fully serve, like, with one focus. Like, how do I make someone's life better? As opposed to how to make their life better, but I gotta go on a date and I gotta go and meet this person, I gotta meet their mom. You know, like I don't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And the flip side, when I do all that and I succeed and I win, whether it's making more income to give our family more freedom um, or making more impact and I feel great about it, I can then go to my wife and kids and share this. Mm-hmm. And so there's a duality of like the biggest shift I made uh, was, was to be able to shift the guy I was and the biggest shift was ownership of who I was really. Um, ownership of the stages I had to go through to become that greater guy and ownership of it being my work to do. And, and the reason why I did it was because I did not have a sense of like true joy every day. A lot of us are looking for the end destination to be the place where if I get there, I feel good. But like you don't go on a trip, uh, like, you know, say you're going to go to Europe. You don't fly and have a horrible flight and like the car's late, your baggage is lost and then show up at the hotel and go, I'm so happy. Yeah. You, you, the destination sucks because the journey sucked. 
Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like I want to have a great destination when it happens, but I gotta love this journey. And so because I get up and do something I love every day, like I'm getting to hang out with a person who's awesome who came from you know his home to come hang out and do like this is cool. Mm-hmm. Like this this is an amazing this is my destination. Like to be able to do this and call this work, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. that's what I want people to have is like how do you show up and realize that your journey every day is the destination you're seeking? Man, that's that's freaking cool. Um, now you're working one-on-one with with your coaching one-on-one? Some one-on-one. I don't do a lot of one-on-one. Okay. And do you is that only with with business folks or is that just anyone? It's uh, well honestly it's people that are more entrepreneurial minded because they okay. they want to create something. It may not be that they want to create some amazing business, but I do have clients who are like, "Hey, I want a better relationship." Mm-hmm. The work I do uh, is an identity. It's called identity shift, right? So that that concept is like, how do I get someone to go from who they are and what they have now to become the person that has what they want. And it's an identity gap we help them close. Okay. So it can be applied to a lot of areas, but it's uh, something where individuals who are understanding like there's a tools, technique, and technician of a person. I can have the tools and techniques and strategies all day long, but if I miss the technician, I can't succeed. Those who are in a space of creating usually see the value in that. So that's kind of where my clientele base primarily is. Got it, okay. And are you in the belief where if you change your values then you change your identity, you can change your behavior. Partially, so you go into like neuroplasticity, and I don't know if, val- I mean values are pretty down pat, man. You like, well no, values can change based on where you're at. So right now, I, if I'm starving, like I value that hamburger, I might like kill you for the hamburger, right? Mm-hmm. Principles are the base, there's a principle we have. Those things are pretty concrete, don't move too much, but situations can change values. Um, and I think that, that if you can change what you do may value, right? Or what you see a, a piece on, you can in turn change who you are. But I think the identity portion comes more from um, who you see yourself as in terms of investment over time. And that goes into actions I take that change like how I view certain things. And you actually does play with like neuroplasticity and changing pleasure points and what makes me happy and gives me joy. Because mm-hmm. if I'm like, when I was going through my craziness and I was divorced, what gave me joy was like pardon, hanging with my buddies, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, being with other women, like it was just kind of like that gave me joy. Mm-hmm. But it really wasn't a thing I should have valued. And so when I, when I changed the pattern of what gave me peace and happy to like being alone, reading a book, going in, on jogs, going on hikes, working out, like I completely switched what was giving me that pleasure center appreciation. So what, what some people get from having joy and drinking and partying, I get from like hanging out like with my buddies or just walking up a mountain, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that is what ended up changing who I was because those actions gave me a better result for my life. And not only do I have the moments where I, like in those moments I feel joy, but I have like this, this um, like just lingering happy all the time because I'm in a space where just everything seems to move smooth because I'm not focused on the wrong things. Yeah, and, and did you have to reorganize your disciplines? Oh, yeah. How did you do that? You know, or uh, not, I want to go one, one further here. Mm-hmm. How did you determine what disciplines you had to, you had to redo? Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of people that have the things we want. Like there's things that I wanted and I saw certain people have them. And somebody listening right now, like you have certain things that you, you want in a life that you know, you you're trying to figure out how does that person have it and I don't. And so I look for the things that they don't say that they're doing, that you just see them doing. And when you start practicing those parts of, of like just identity work and it's honestly actions on a consistent basis, you start getting to the point where you now become the person that does that thing and then what you see the person having, like they just kind of have. Realistically, it's it's like an autopilot. It's when you can get your body to go to a flow where things that may seem out of your reach are overwhelming. 
when they become your normalcy, that's how you have the things that that kind of person has. So when I was looking at designing, I was like, who has a life that I, that I like? like, Or who's living parts of their life the way I desired? So I would look at people that have good businesses, like how do they operate? What are they thinking? And you can hear it in what they say. It's not like, for example, it's, it's like when I watch um, like a buddy of mine, Dave Hollis, when I watch him when he's running, he's talking and teaching. Everybody sees him talking and teaching, running, having cool jokes, story. Like he's, it's funny, right? Mm -hmm. But you're watching him run every day. Like there's a unique, like you don't realize, like you're not even watching, like the dude, he doesn't even talk about running every day, but he's running every day. So he's doing something that's uncomfortable, pushing the needle, giving you messages about pushing the needle, but you don't realize like, yeah, he just told you to do that thing, but if you just go and like start running every day, there's a certain part of who you'll become that'll be the guy that gets the same lessons this guy's getting. And when it becomes normal to you, like it's normal to him, now you have a different tick. Like there's a different level of what's difficult to you. Cause you may look at like, oh, it's difficult to run a mile. Dude running like, you know, eight, 10 miles. Like that's, that's a different level of difficult to where it's so normal to him now that the rest of life becomes hard. So what you may look at and be like, oh, I can't overcome that. I don't know how to do that. It's just a Tuesday for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where you want to get your mind shifted. And so for me, it was like looking at who are these people I, I want to be similar to in terms of that action or that trait. And then what are the actions they do to develop that? And then if I do it consistently, yes, it sucks in the beginning, but if I do it consistently, I have this investment bias. The more I put in, the more I want to return. And when you put effort in, the return is a sense of pride and a sense of ownership for that being who you are. Got it. Okay. And when someone's, say, say there's someone new who's trying to do that for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. How do they measure the type of investment that they're putting in and the, the return mm -hmm. that they're getting? Yeah. So there's two parts. One is we have this comparison issue for a lot of people like, I put this time in, but I'm not where they're at, so I, I feel bad right now. So the first thing is to measure that, create your own scale that is completely separate from any world scale. Sit in your private moments at home, quiet room, and design what you believe would be great for you. That's all you just, what, what would be amazing for you to accomplish? And obviously go a little bit uncomfortable, right? That way when you achieve it, even if somebody says, oh, but you didn't do X, Y, or Z, you can say, yeah, it's cool, I'm glad you did that, but this I know is what I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. The other part of the measurable aspects is you're gonna find moments where you hit what's called identity walls. And the wall shows up in, ah, I'll just do that tomorrow. Or, yeah, but I'm not the person that does that. I don't run. I'm not a, I'm not a person that goes on diets, right? You'll make statements that cut you off from having to pursue the next stage of a discomfort. And so you'll find that the measurable, if you wanna call it, is how do you feel in the moment when you're, you're maximized? Not overwhelmed, but like when you're maximized, because those maximized moments provide for you a very clear picture of you've now hit your level and peak, which means what you have right now, whatever your life, you're always going to have the same level of that because you're not willing to go past that point. You keep stopping. You keep stopping your progress. It's when you get to that level of like, I don't want to do this. You say, oh, but I got it. When you just almost drag yourself to do it, even if it's five more minutes, you build up a little bit more of a range of what you can create, mm -hmm. which means you're going to have more at that new tier, kind of like lifting weights. Like, when you walk into the weight room, it's, it's heavy, but you don't walk out of the weight room. You start lifting weights. You get stronger and stronger. After time, that weight you couldn't move, you can do 10 reps of it now. now lighter too. Other than, other than the weight room, do you have a, a personal example of that? Oh, hell yes, man. So uh, I got a lot of personal examples of me doing this whole thing. So when I went from being a gym owner to a speaker, like I was like, man, I, I just, I want to figure out how to talk without having to have a script or write a speech. How do I just flow? and it's called extemporaneous speaking. I was like, I need to get an exercise where I can do this and it's gonna be difficult. And so what I did is I was like, well, every night I'm gonna do a 90 second video, call it a nightly 90. 
Uh, and so what I did was I was like, I'm going to go through the practice of every night doing this. I did it for 3,333 straight days. And is this something that you shared? Oh, yeah. So every day was record it, edit it, throw it online, and seven different platforms. And it okay. was like this. I was like, I don't really want to. Like, there's nights where I'm like, I don't want to do this right now, but I got to record it. And I got to do it. And it kept pushing it. And like, I didn't want to. I kept dragging myself, but I, I didn't want to do it because I didn't feel like I was good at it. I didn't think people enjoyed it. I didn't get much clicks, that many views at a certain point in time. I was like, man, it's just, no one's even watching these things. Like, it was up to like episode 1,000 before I really got any traction. Like, it was just 1,000, imagine, years. It's over like, like what, 365 is a, is a year, right? Yeah. So you're talking about episode 3,000 something, like it was years. Oh my God. Right? So, get to this point where, like now I'm, I'm moving and grooving through all the whole entire thing. There's actually 1,333 days, excuse me, not 3,000. Um, but now I get this for I'm going and now what ends up happening is I get to this level where I feel some comfort in it. I feel a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy. It feels a little bit normal. And I get to the point where now it's easy. It was sucky at first, still a little, towards the end it was like just still work, but I just kept moving toward now at the back end of it, it's easy for me now. Mm-hmm. You can put me on stage and I could have nothing to say you can have somebody ask me a question and I can relate it to your toenail. It's like I can just take a weird idea and talk about what it means and how it does. Like I literally on the spot, but it's all because I invested that. And now I can boldly say like, that's who I am. I'm the guy that can do that. But I wouldn't have had that if I didn't invest and lift the weight of it mm-hmm. to where it became easy over time. Who, who is the person that is most influential to you? Hmm. Most influential. You want a weird one? Future Anthony. Okay. Well, if you think about is, it. Is this like a Matthew McConaughey no, thing? No. Well, th- I always, so I, I deal with people. My wife, perfect example. I don't understand what goes on in her brain half the time. <laughs> I love her to death, but I don't get her head. Right, okay. So I've realized, like, if, if it's the person closest to me that I love and I don't fully understand that person, like, who am I going to run into that I really get? So when they say something, it's filtered through a filter I don't fully know. And so I want to know what future Anthony thinks because I'll get his brain. Right, that's the first part of it. Secondly, I do what I do every day because I don't want to let yesterday's Anthony down. Mm -hmm. So influential is like what influences you to do what you do. And what influences me is realizing that that next week's Anthony or next you know year's Anthony, he needs current Anthony to do great. And so does yesterday's Anthony because I don't want to mess up what he created or what he built or what he did. So what influences me to stay on the course, to not mess things up is, how is that guy gonna feel about this guy? And how can I make sure I serve and, and hold uh, you know, pride for the guy that was building whatever he did yesterday? So I'm always in this present level of like, I don't want to mess this stuff. I won't let you down. I want to make sure I'm, I'm good in your eyes in the future. And that's what influences me to move. So, so what I would ask is, would you think that you are more present-minded or future-minded? Oh, man, both at the same time, bro. I don't, I don't know if you can... Can you ever be one or the other? Because like you can't go and say, well, I'm going to build for the future, but I'm not going to worry about the past. Because the past taught me everything that's going to allow me to go into the future. Mm-hmm. And then I can't be in the future thinking about, I don't want this to happen. Because if I'm always focused on this, I'm only going to be focused on what I know back here, not what's possible up here. So I'm always presently like in like today's moment of, you know, what, what do I got to do to make sure that future Anthony is going to achieve great? And all that really is, I talked about earlier, was go towards a super uncomfortable thing that scares me, lean in. And then how do I make sure that if yesterday's Anthony got his workout in, I don't mess it up today. I don't need garbage today because he did the work. I want to make sure I stack upon it. There's always a constant wheel of consistently being present and future at the same time or past and future at the same time. Man, that is, that is so fascinating. And I th- I'm thinking innately 
because you are thinking those things mm-hmm. and it's on your mind, um, you are always dialed in. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dialed in, man. I make my own. I actually made my own planner because I don't like other humans' planners. Really? Because <laughs> everybody makes these planners that are cool and they're quippy, but I was like, I just need the bare minimum basics that work for my brain, how I get stuff done. And so I'm always dialed in because yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up my time. Like my mom passed at 47, and like you never know what tomorrow looks like. And so because of that, I I want to go to bed every night knowing like, hey, bro, you had a great day. If this was the last day. It was a good day. Am I perfect every day? No. But ideally, I want to close the day and like, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I did a good job. I treated people right. No one can say I wronged them. Like, my kids can always be proud of dad. No one's going to come out of the woodworks and say, oh, yeah, you guys think it was that guy. Oh, he was really like this, right? That'll never happen. And so it keeps me dialed in daily because, yeah, I don't, I don't want to mess anything up. So I do that by keeping a really strict, like, regimented schedule of what my life looks like. And... You said planner. Is there something other than like just a date and timestamp on on the planner, or yeah, yeah, what what is it? Oh, so I call it the prop. It's a progress planner. Okay. So and the prop also holds up the, the, everything, right? It sets the scene for like a play, and it holds things up. It okay. hold, this holds up my life, sets the scene for my life, right? Same kind of concept. Uh, and so what it is is it's here's the basic of what it is. It's just every hour, uh, seven days a week on one sheet, every hour from about four a.m. to ten p.m and then a section for notes and how I enter my life into this. The beauty is not in the planner. Problem is people buy planners and have no idea how to plan. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Buy whatever planner you want. I don't care how amazing it is. If you don't know how to plan, it'll never work, right? So I was like, how do I plan? And then how do I get the best useful tool for me based on how I plan? So I have my calendar, it's digital, and I have my paper one now. And I've had this since 2011, I've been using this thing. Oh, wow. And I just, I infuse my life in, and then I'll find out where projects have to go. Uh, and then from there, I, I deconstruct the projects into different stages and infuse those into my schedule. I also put an open time for family, so that what I can do is I'll be working on project A, and I don't think about B, C, or D. I know it's gonna get done. Because when I used to work on A, and think about B, C, or D, A never got done. So it's always floating. Right. And then if I'm with my family, if I don't have this structured out, because I infuse it to where I know where everything's going to end when it's done, it's always always in a space where I know when it'll complete, and it's going to be at the right time. So if I stay the course, I'm at peace. So if I have here, hang out with the kids, I can hang out with the kids. And work isn't in my brain, because I know it's supposed to get done when it's supposed to get done. I'm very tight with my time. So like I don't just let anybody in whenever they ask. There are times when I have windows that I can move things if they pop up and there's opportunities. But for the most part, that gives me peace so I can operate. So it allows me to stay structured and really stay present and dialed in for life. So I, I think if someone's watching this, a lot of they're they're thinking what I'm thinking. How did you how did you get to that? Mm. Because you don't you don't just <laughs> no. you don't just set your schedule up that way. You don't no. you don't just get to being so regimented. Mm-hmm. How yeah, how did you get I there? I broke it. I broke life. So I broke, I literally, I say broke life, like that's where I lost everything. Mm-hmm. So I got to this point where I was at the gym from like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. I was never home. Neglected the wife, didn't take care of my health at times. And then I would always tell myself, like, I don't have enough time. And then the time audit, and the audit was like, no, bro, you're wasting time drinking beers and watching shows, like, you know, in the middle of the day, because I just didn't feel good about Anthony. Or I'm like, you know, I'm working too much. I just never looked at what I was doing. And I was like, man, my life is a whole lot of wasted time. And we're like, I would get done with the session, have two hours to kill. I would sit there and chop it up with people for two hours, just talk. When that two hours could have been allocated towards doing marketing or building a business or prospecting. Even if it's 15 minutes, right? We don't realize how powerful a 15 minute block can be 
if you use it to do one task for a solid 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, man, I, I got all these things I wanna do and most people say, well, I don't have enough time or they get overwhelmed or maximized. And it's only because they have all these things in their head that need to be done and they have no idea when they're gonna do it and they don't think about where to do it. So all I did was like, I wanna get everything out of my head because the problem I always had was I'm working on this, thinking about everything else. And so I was like, what's the first step to doing that? Well, let me take a look, because I always find that when I get into a project, it takes way more than I thought it was going to be time-wise. So I went and said, "How? what of this project really has to be done? I would break it down. I'd be like, all right, that's a 10-hour project. That's a 15-hour pro That's a 30-hour project, right? And then I'd say, okay, cool, where do I put this? And I, I would, I would like want to sit down and say, I'm going to work on this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. You can't sit down for an hour on Sunday and get it all done. Right. And then you spend all this time like, when do I got to get this done? Then you're overwhelmed. I don't want to do this. It's too much, right? So I was like, what's the best way to get it out of my head? What if I chunk it down and put it into my day and execute what it's supposed to be executed and then just, just do that? Mm -hmm. So I did that and I was like, oh, but then I, don't, I, don't, I can't work this for four hours. I got to work here and I got clients here. and I got So I started putting other things in first. So like my sleeping, my eating, my you know, date days with the wife, kid time. And then I would find that once I put these hours in and chunked them out, I would have these little open spaces. And I would take the deconstructed plan I had for whatever project needed and pop it in. And so throughout my day, I'll have like four or five different projects I'm working on because I got to change it up to my own brain. And then, but when I'm in that project, I'm dialed in. And then when it's done, I check off that hour or that part of the process that had to be done and I'm checked off and I move on to the next one. And, and these could be like, just like even like 20 minute blocks. Yeah, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, easily. If it's a prospect, it can be as simple as like, go, go to your email inbox. Like think about, we always look at these emails, like there's so many emails. When you sit down and do it, it's like 15 minutes. Yeah. So like, I don't want to respond to this email because like, oh, I don't know how to think about that. But if you just stop and do it, 90 seconds, emails that I'll, I'll like sit there for a while, like, man, I don't want a 15 minute ordeal. I got to answer this whole thing. It'd be 90 seconds mm -hmm. and I'm done, right? But we don't, we don't think about just, just get in, just get in the cockpit and start driving. And all of a sudden like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that, right? So I started realizing how powerful 15 minutes of my time would be when I just dialed in. And so if I put a emails, 30 minutes, I'm done before 30 minutes. And I got a breather, on to the next thing, and the next thing. And then it gets checked off, and I make progress, and I feel good about myself, so I'm at more joy internally. I don't feel overwhelmed. And I think a lot of people, when they get overwhelmed with so much to do, they don't know where to start, so they just don't do anything. Mm -hmm. And now you have the same amount of weight just hanging around and lingering into your life. So what I do in the moment of overwhelm, my first, like my gut, like knee-jerk reaction now, start getting something done. Because the faster I get it done, the less weight I have, the less overwhelm I have. So I just move and I start putting things through. So that's how, that's how it was born, how it was created, and that's how it operates in my life now. Man, that's so cool. Um, yeah, it works. What's your, what's your morning routine? Like, do you, do you have something that you do or a couple things that you do every morning when you wake up? Depends on the, on the mornings. So there's school mornings, there's, there's non-school mornings, <laughs> travel mornings. Uh, every morning I like to get up and get a cup of tea, man. It just, that's the one thing. Sometimes I'll stretch if I have time. Uh, I, besides that, man, I, I can pop up and be ready to roll within like 10 minutes. Okay. But most of the time, like I need some, I need tea because it just for some reason makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then I roll into the day and I'm just, I'm just like this all day long. It's just bam, right into it. Right into like, it. No like meditation or like I've reading used to. or anything. So there's days like if I have a lot of time in the morning, yeah. So if I have like an eight o'clock, like a nine o'clock, whatever it is, like meeting or something, I'll take the kids from, they get up at seven in the morning. So when they're up at seven, I get them out, get into the, the you know, school and then I can come home. I sometimes will meditate, but usually I have meetings that time. Uh, there are some days when I'll get up at six, which I try to get up at six. Uh, and those are days I'll consistently, like I'll do a quick like 10 minute meditation using Wayne Dwyer's little, he has like an audio I, I pop on real quick. So I'll do that to set my modes, set my mind, get my tea, and then I'll get into the day. 
but okay. I'll, I'll do like workouts later with the wife. I'll do running later with the wife. So I don't have like a get up and exercise and do this. Like I don't have that kind of structure. But as long as I can get my tea, bro, and if I have my tea, I usually do meditate while it's steeping, then I'm good. Like wow. solid for the day. Okay. Very cool. Um, what's one thing, what's one thing that, that we may not know about you that might be a little surprising? Mm. There's one thing people don't know about me that might be incredibly surprising. God, my wife would be able to give you a great answer for this one. There's <laughs> a lot of things that my kids probably could. You know what? The, um, as much as I have a lot of joy, I am not great at managing my energy when my youngest son goes haywire. So I, I you'll, if you ever, like, when I, I get to the point, like, I'll cuss at him. I don't like it. But, like, you little mother, like, what do you, like, freaks out. And the reason is, I know, see, as ADHD like I used to have, I still have, I'm all over the place, but I've managed, I know how to manage it. And, and the world that I lived in, in terms of what the world gave to me, was bad because of how bad I was, and I don't want him to have that. So I try to manage him at home so he can go to school and not do that stuff. But he just works my patience, like, works it. Says certain things, like, he just gets, oh, he, I, he takes my patience points, I call him. So it'll be times when, like, man, I'll get to the point, if you were to walk in, you'd be like, that dude, is, a, is he's not a very good dude. You would watch him, like, that's a, that's a bad dad. In that moment, though, because I just, all of a sudden, I'm like, God, just, you know, it's like I can't handle it anymore, my, my, my head pops off. So that'd be the one thing that you wouldn't realize, is, like, I'm a very joyous dude, all day long, all day long. But there'd be a point towards the back of the day where he's just taking all those points, and all of a sudden, I, I'll just pop the lid, like, go to your room, I, ah, you know, that's, that's pretty much the one thing. So outside of that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of weird things. I like cartoons, and I watch in comic books, and I, or, you know, I read in comic books. I mean, I'm just, I'm a weird, I listen to country music in the car. That might be weird. What, what, who's your favorite country band? I have no idea the names. It just doesn't make me, it doesn't make, it makes me feel good. We I can totally name. relate. I, I know songs, and I, I know beats of songs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just have no idea what the lyrics are. I got lyrics. I still don't know, I have no idea who wrote them, or who's singing them. Yeah. Just in the car. Like, I don't even listen to anything. Uh, Cat country. Dude, that's so funny. I thought I was like the only one. Yeah, that's me, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there was a, a really good point I wanted to bring up. Um, oh, you are you're you are possibly the most joyous person I've ever met. Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate it. I mean, and it it's it's contagious. Like, I feel happier when you're around. Nice, you know? man. Appreciate um, it. And I'm I'm telling you, like everyone, I would bet most people feel that way too. Um, were you the same way on the football field? Like, were you happily hmm. just <laughs> just trucking over people? Yeah. So I wasn't the guy that was like Ray Lewis crazy angry. No. Uh-huh. I was the guy that would make jokes that get under your skin, but I was a fierce competitor. Like when the ball was snapped, I'm 1000% of every effort I got. I would give everything because I could, re- I could replenish it, right? Um, but the thing was is I would get under your skin because I would do things that make you just like get mad. So when I'd beat you, I wouldn't say much, but I would do like, like to the tight ends. If I beat him for a sack, I'd be like, hey man, you're supposed to block me. Like, you know, like you say things like, oh, or uh, I'd I, like have bets at the beginning of the game. Like, hey, can we let's put a hundred bucks. If I get your quarterback, you owe me a hundred bucks. If, if not, we're good. Like, I'll pay you a hundred bucks. Like you play jokes back and forth and every sack. Like, hey, that's a hundred bucks, bro. Like, hey, you owe me 200 bucks, man. Like, just you get in their head. So I was the guy that would be like super like fierce and feisty. And I loved when they would get angry because then I don't. And when you get angry, you're out of control because when emotions high, intelligence is low. Mm-hmm. They make mistakes. So like, how can I make this guy mad without getting mad? And what pisses people off is when they're angry and you're not. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what my joy would come in in that. Weird jokes, quick retorts. Like, I still had a mouth, but it wasn't like, I'm going to kill you. 
It was like, you can't, you can't even touch. Hey, can you block me today? Mm-hmm. Hey, man, lace your shoes. Like, we, we want to cut. Hey, there's a game going on right now. I don't know if you knew there's a game going on right now. Yeah. Like, I'm in it with you. You're supposed to block me. You just go back and forth. Like, that's how we get under their skin. Now, now I have a feeling maybe uh, your youngest might be taking a little piece of that from you. Who does? Yeah. yeah. The other day in the car, man, he, he said something like, we were in Mexico and he was getting under my skin, dude. And like my wife was like, you got to calm it down. Like, you just are on him too much. I'm like, he's doing dumb stuff. He's like <laughs> throwing rocks at people. We're in Mexico. You can't do it. The police are going to come pick him up. And then like, he did something on the way home. And we got to, the, we got to the, uh, the actual hotel and he does something. Like, I was about to freak out. I grabbed my wife. Like I said, I need you to, uh, you need to handle this. Like, I can't do it. And he goes in the back. What? Cat got your tongue, dad? No. You little son of a mother. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's one of those moments. See? He just, ah, and I'm like, oh, I want to choke uh, him up. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> dude. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, he gets, he finds little ways to play. And I, the thing, though, it's a good skill to have, just not at 10 years old at school and with pops. Right, like, right. Like, you want to have the ability to retort, but he has no control of it right now. Mm-hmm. So I get frustrated trying to teach him how to control it. Oh man, uh, you might you might want to talk to my parents because apparently yeah. I was always the one that was like mouth and back at, at yep. teachers and always being like giving like the smart rhetorical answers mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's me. That's him. That's yep. him, man. All day long, it's annoying. That's that dude. It that's awesome. Yeah. It is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome because that's your kid. When it's yours, yeah, you no, getting called from, from the school. outside looking <laughs> yeah, in, right? I'm like, this is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, then, then, yeah, it's funny. It's, in hindsight, usually it is funny. In the moment, it's like, bro, I'm tired of getting calls from a school. Like, you <laughs> yeah. cannot have your principal calling me because, like, you're at the school and your teacher says something, you're across the room yelling at her because she did it wrong. Like, that is not how it works. Like, you got to operate. So, yeah, a little different. Now, when, when things how – how do I phrase this? When when things get tough and you do uh, you not don't get emotional but maybe mm-hmm. get upset and I'm not saying uh, because of kids or, or anything yeah do you do you have an anchor because I feel like mm-hmm. no matter what people always get upset there's always gonna be yeah. something mm-hmm. that bothers you on some random day yeah but is there an anchor that you have that you can go straight to and be like you know what this is this is pulling me out of this. Yeah, yeah, I have this weird thought. So one, I, I don't like messing up the next moments of my life. So when I feel like like things going a little haywire, I'm out of, out of whack. And I feel, I'd say unsettled when I feel unsettled. I wouldn't even call it angry because things do get me mad, but I'm like, I'm just a little unsettled right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to the point of trying to figure out why am I unsettled. It's because this moment, this whatever's taking place is giving me a, a meaning that I'm giving it. And that meaning I'm giving it is making me feel a certain way. And then I go back and it's super odd for most people, but I, I take myself out of it and ask, is it really that important? I literally place myself on a cloud. So imagine you're on a cloud, or you are a cloud, looking down at the earth and you see these ant-like little people running around. Are their problems really that important? Hmm. Not really. So not that my problem isn't important, but in the bigger picture of it all, it's not that big a deal. And time fixes everything. So I just step back and say, all right, cool, this sucks right now, but I don't wanna live in this forever. It's not the end of the world that this thing took place. So my package was delayed. Like, all right, I'll get it tomorrow. Life goes on, you know? So somebody did me wrong. Like, yeah, well, okay, bigger picture. Like, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna be happy. I'm gonna do just fine. And they're gonna have to live with the fact that they did that to me. Let me mm-hmm. just move on. So I just always look at like, what's the next level I wanna live into? And I don't wanna drag any of that movement uh, or motion and energy into the next moments of it. So my anchor is like, not the end of the world. Like, mm-hmm. life will continue on. What actions must I take to get to that place faster? Got it. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the way people use their brain and their thinking process, it's so important because mm-hmm. you, if you thought differently, 
you could have a different behavior that different will life. not work for you. Yeah, um, different life. And, you know, a- after hearing you speak and, and a couple of the other speakers that, uh, that were at the conference, mm-hmm. um, I started thinking about, you know, one word. When I would get up, I thought about one word that I wanted to be that day yeah. and why I wanted to be it. Mm-hmm. And the other day, I thought inspiration. Mm-hmm. So I'm out doing what I, what I normally do, and I have to go get gas. Mm-hmm. And I'm I pull up to the gas station, and there is there's a car in front of me, and they're they're at a one of the gas uh, one of the gas things, Pumps, and then yeah. there's another gas pump in front of them. Yeah, that's open, and this yeah. person hasn't even like stopped there. Yeah, like got out of the car, so they're not moving. So I I like roll down my window, and I'm like, hey, can you move forward just a little bit, please? Mm-hmm. Uh, just so we can both pump gas. Mm-hmm. And this woman gets out of her car and she's like, uh, what did you say? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, nothing. Just can you, would it be okay if you just move forward to one pump and... Then I could fit here too. And, yeah, and then I could fit here too. And she was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Go around me. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on the other side, there's like, there's two cars or mm-hmm. one of them was a truck and it's a double wide. Mm-hmm. And then it's the street. Yes, yeah, like, so you can't like go no around. going around. And yeah. I'm like... I really want to say something right now. Yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling the tension come up, but I was like, you know what? You're a great person. Mm-hmm. Have a good day. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do. I, well, I so I have this weird way of being. Um, people they they remove themselves from passive aggressive situations. They don't. Most people know that they can't. Other people won't handle confrontation well, so they'll choose to do things to get you to fire up. Because most people don't know how to have a conversation that is confrontational without being angry. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's uh, moments my wife, like, likes to remove herself from, like, when I'm around. Because if there's something going on, I will call you on it. But I won't be super rude, but I'll be very direct. Like, so, like, situations like that, I would get out of the car. I'd park it. I'd sit there. I'd sit on my, th- I would sit on my car. And I, would, I would look at them until they said something. I would say, I'm just waiting because I can't do as you asked me. I have to sit here. I can't drive around you. Now, because you chose to be belligerent and stand here like this. I use big words. I don't cuss. You want to be belligerent and do this. I have no other option but to wait for you to conclude. So I'll sit here. Take as much time as you'd like. I'm just going to sit here, just knowing that karma will take care of you in the end. And then you you put these little, like, so I'll I'll just do that, and they may get mad, and I'll be like, I don't know why you're getting mad. We wouldn't have this confrontation if you drove forward. So if you're mad at me, it's your own doing. I have no other option. When you're done, take as much time as you want. I'm good. I'll be late for something. It's totally cool, because I know in the end, I'm not going to have to deal with this, because it's going to come back to you tenfold. Right, You just, you let them, and they'll just sit there, and they may get, they may still sit there, but the rest of the day, they have this, and they hold that. I don't want to give that to them, but I want them to realize, like, that sucks. Next situation that happens, promise you it's different. Oh, big time. Right? Yeah, promise you it's different. Yeah, you know, I like that. Just give them the message. You don't have to be rude about nope. it. You don't, don't have cuss. To, you don't have to, you know, uh, include vulgarity or, no. or anything. Just, this is how it is, and you know what? We're both going to be here, and I'll yeah. just let, let you know what's going on. Yeah, that's all you got to do. You keep it, I keep it super simple, very transparent, clear, and clean, and I just let it ride from there. Yeah. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah. Dude, I am so just I, I feel like you have a a response for everything life throws at you. I, I found out a lot of them. Yeah, I got weird ways of working, man. I'm always thinking about life. I think some people don't think about life. I every day close the day by thinking about my day and what I learn. Mm-hmm. So it's and then I do a lot of talking, so do it's you, always top of mind. Do you write that down? Yeah, I have an app called Day One. It's like a journal. You actually you can go on there, put videos, pictures, text, whatever you want, audio record. 
So and do, like you, a, do you use that all? Do you use video and? Yeah, yeah. Nine o'clock, it gives me a reminder to go into there for my day and like, I'll just do a voice record. This took place or I'll type it in if I'm with the family. But I'm constantly learning from life. Education isn't only books. Education is a lot of the time just learning from what you got going on for the day. You don't got to be a coach or a speaker to do it. Like every day, sit back. What did I learn today? Well, I, got, I learned that my kid needs this from me or my husband needs this or at work I shouldn't do this or don't go here. Whatever. Like it's just, there's little things that life is giving us, but we experience it. We get an emotion from it. Don't take the logical moment of what we could learn from it and then anchor it somewhere. So we just all these lessons we're missing every day. Right. So for me, at least I got a response because I'm I'm always thinking about stuff. Man. It's, oh man, I just want to I want a notepad and start writing this down. Yeah, you got you got to record it so we can go get yep. that out later. Hey, um, one last question. Yeah. If there's a young kid, or if there is, you know, someone who is uh, trying to find their their passion or trying to figure out what they want to do mm-hmm. in life, what's the best advice you could give for them? Well, I don't know if you find your, your, your passion. There's like the purpose what I think you're talking about. Like, what's the purpose? Why mm-hmm. am I here? And I, I always think it's on the back end of passions we chase or don't chase, right? If you have something like you, for odd reason, maybe passionate about, maybe you like whittling chairs. I don't know, maybe you, um, hey, that, that longboard looks cool. Like, it's a passion. I just want to try this thing out. And I can be emotionally engaged in it without draining my emotion, right? I, want, I have this positive emotion for it. And I find that when you chase the things that you're passionate about, in the journey of that, you stumble upon your purpose. Because mm-hmm. the purpose isn't something that just comes to you one day because you woke up or something happened in your life that's what it was. It's usually you doing something, being introduced to somebody or a situation or some opportunity that never would have presented itself if you hadn't chased that passion. And lo and behold, you happen upon this thing like, oh, damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like my, my passion was to do fitness stuff for a lot of years. And then somebody was like, hey, come do this thing for a fire de- department company. It's like, okay, cool. And they're like, hey, we're going to record some videos of you and put them online. Like, who's going to do that? Oh, it's this industry. It's, you know, this world where you can, the expert space we're in now. I was like, oh, so I found this guy that does this stuff named Brandon Burchard. And I was like, oh, cool. Let me go check out this Experts Academy he did. And I found this thing. I was like, oh, it's cool. It tickles my fancy. I'm going to do recording videos and put stuff out and just kept chasing that little passion. And I found that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like, this is where all this craziness of life was, was moving to this. If I'd ever said, no, I'm not going to speak. I don't know about this video thing and just studied the, like, stayed in the gym. I would never have found the purpose of what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and then, you know, all the people that you speak to would have never been impacted and, Ever. you know, and things wouldn't be changing in the world. Not at all. Man, uh, I want to thank you for your time, Anthony. Welcome. I really, really do appreciate it. Yeah. Before we sign off here, where can people find you? Yeah, uh, best place is if you go to Instagram, at Anthony Trucks, uh, or there's a cool quiz you can take that I created called the Slow or Go Identity, slowergo.co. Perfect. Yeah. Anthony, thank you for your time, man. Very welcome, Really appreciate man. Yeah, that. No problem, bro. Seriously. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was able to provide some insight and some knowledge that will help you expand your mind and ultimately your life. Now, you've already done more than enough by listening to the podcast, but if you want to go above and beyond and really help me, you can subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is for podcasts. This will ultimately help me grow, and that's what we're all about here. So I am really looking forward to the next time that I get to spend time with you on the podcast. And until then, stay extraordinary.